This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, this is Doro. Just a quick reminder before we get to our guest today that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is on Saturday, October 3rd. Due to the pandemic, this year, the conference will be held virtually, and all are welcome to join. You'll be inspired by luminaries in health and wellness and take home real strategies to improve your happiness and wellness. You can get all the information you need at AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com. And now for the show. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Jamie Gangel is a television news reporter and is currently a CNN special correspondent. She previously worked as an editor for WJLA-TV and as a national correspondent for NBC News. Jamie has interviewed seven presidents and has reported on countless world events over the span of her amazing career, and she continues to do so. But Jamie is more importantly a lifelong friend, and Tricia and I are delighted to welcome our friend to HealthGig. I confess I am nervous. I'm used to asking questions. Answering them is not in my (laughs) wheelhouse, so I'll do the best I can. First of all, we wanted to start with hearing about you and your life, and we know you grew up in New York City, so just tell us a little bit about your background. I grew up in both Brooklyn Heights, and then we moved to Manhattan, and I went to school in the city, and I have to say, I loved it. It was a wonderful experience. Everything is sort of at your fingertips. My mom was a judge, so I tried not to get in trouble (laughs) too much. And then I came down to Washington, D.C. to go to college. I went to the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown, and I never really went back to New York again. I've lived within three blocks of my freshman dorm (laughs) since I graduated. So I fell in love with Washington, D.C. I still love New York. But I feel as if I've had the best of both worlds. Jamie, we've had the pleasure of knowing each other through our families. Can you tell us about Danny and your family? One of the ways we've connected as two families is I was very lucky to interview both your parents over and over again when I worked at NBC for the Today Show. But along the way, I think they liked me because they liked my husband. His name is Daniel Silva. This year, he is publishing his 23rd book. He writes spy thrillers. And Danny is an introvert. There's a reason he's a writer. He likes to sit in his office all alone. He writes a book a year. He really doesn't like to do book tours. He doesn't like to go out in public. But there was one person that you and I both know who could get him to go in public. And her name was Barbara Bush. And so the second connection in our family really was Danny's great honor and pleasure to do celebration of reading to help raise money and awareness for literacy. And not too long ago, I think it was either last summer or the summer before, 
we did an event together where he spoke at Maine Celebration of Reading. And I just want to take a moment because your parents exemplified so much in so many ways, but what they did after the White House. And Danny, I believe for the first time when he spoke that night, announced that your parents, since they had left the White House, had helped to raise more than $1 billion, that's with a B, dollars for charity like literacy and cancer. And so we felt very lucky, both professionally and personally, to have gotten to spend a little time with them. Well, they loved you. And both of you were working parents. How did you make family a priority? It was tricky but we were very lucky. We have twins, Lily and Nick, who are now 25 years old. So we say we're survivors. But one of the things that was very lucky was because Danny was a novelist and a writer, he worked at home. So he was able to pick them up every day after school. And we lived next door to Georgetown University. And so we were very lucky. We had the help of great Georgetown students who would babysit from three to six in the afternoon and make sure to help get homework done. But the fact that he was at home really let me go out. And I never had to worry about getting on a plane or doing a story because he was here. I will also say that as I grew up in the business, I was very lucky to have a boss, Jeff Zucker, who had a lot of women and working mothers working for him. And along the way, I said to him at one point, when Lily and Nick were in high school, I said, I'd really like to have some time off in the summers. I'm not going to have them much longer. And he made that work. And it was not just for me. It was for other working mothers. And he would have working mothers work from home. But I give him tremendous credit because as the executive producer then of the Today Show, he really recognized and appreciated the need to be able to balance. And he knew how difficult it was to balance. Hey, back up. How did you and Danny meet? Well, the U.S. Navy takes credit for our meeting. It was in 1987 during the Iran-Iraq War, and I was sent to Bahrain to be the Pentagon pool correspondent. And Danny, before he was writing books, he was chief Middle East correspondent for UPI, and we met in Bahrain, and it clicked immediately on our third date he asked me to marry him. Wow. (laughs) And we got married about eight months later. And that was 31, 32 years ago. Oh, that's so romantic. (laughs) I didn't realize Danny was a broadcaster too. And that makes sense with his novels and Gabriel Allen and all the international stuff makes complete sense. He always wanted to be a writer. Both of his parents were teachers. There was no trust fund. He knew he had to work to make a living. So he worked three jobs to work his way through college. And then he became a reporter for UPI. And I think one of the things that UPI gave him was he was able to travel the world. And as you said, Doro, in his books, they're international spy thrillers. They take place all over the world. So that was 
one part of what UPI did for him. The other part is when you're a wire service reporter, you work on deadline. You have to get your stories done quickly. And he writes a book a year, which really means in six months. I couldn't do that. I mean, he would tell you, I can't punctuate. I talk for a living. He writes for a living. But it really gave him a great start. And then when he came back to D.C. and we got married, he went to work for CNN as the executive producer of all of their talk shows. We jokingly called them the shout shows. Crossfire, Capital Gang, Reliable Sources. And he got up in secret at 5 o'clock in the morning and wrote before he went to work. And he didn't tell anyone he was writing a book until it was all done. And a publisher, it went to auction between three publishers. And his first book became a New York Times bestseller. Wow. Wow. When did you know you wanted to be a broadcaster? You know, I really didn't. My mom was a judge. I thought I was going to go to law school. And my mom said, take a couple of years off. Try something else. You can always go back to law school, but you've been in school for a long time. See what's out there. Get a sense of yourself, which I think is great advice. Back in the Stone Age, when I was graduating from college, you went right on to graduate school and you so didn't take a breath. I think graduate schools now encourage students to stop. And I think that's healthy. So I was living in Washington, D.C., and I really wanted to work in politics. And I went up and interviewed on Capitol Hill. But back then, if you were a woman, you had to be able to type to get a job. And I couldn't get a job up on the hill because I couldn't type. And a friend of mine said, you know, you like to talk. You like to ask questions. I think maybe you would like journalism. And I started out answering the phones at WTOP Radio in Washington, D.C., which is the all-news radio station. I want to say this from the start. I did not know what I was doing. (laughs) I really learned on the job. But the person who gave me the advice to try it was very wise. It was a good fit. I often say, I can't believe someone pays me to talk for a living. It really was a perfect fit. How has the broadcasting changed from back then to now? Obviously, social media. How do you see it? So back then, it was not 24 hours a day. It was not nonstop. It seems so old-fashioned back then. CNN wasn't around when I first started. I started NBC, so there was the Today Show in the morning, and there were the evening newscasts at night. It was a completely different pace. You had some time to think (laughs) about what you were going to say and absorb it. Now it is not only nonstop with cable news, but as you said, Tricia, because of social media, what happened 15 seconds ago, not what happened 15 minutes ago. And I confess, a part of me loves it. There is an adrenaline to it. But I also think that it's very important for our primetime shows to sort of take stock of the day. Because all day long, we're running, 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 running. And then it's important to give some perspective in the evening to that. But the one thing I would add is that in the era of President Trump, that has been amplified. 
because he's so present on social media that that has added to the pace of everything. Do you think presidents going forward are going to take a page from him or do you think it'll be just shut down? It's a great question and I'm actually very curious because if you think back at modern presidents that we remember, every person has a very different style. And so I think there will be some social media. I don't think it's going away, although some days I would like it to go away. It can be really mean and very destructive. And I do worry not just about kids growing up with this kind of social media, but everybody feeling free to say things that they would never say to your face. So I'm not sure we put the genie back in the bottle, but maybe the way to answer the question, Tricia, is some former presidents are on social media and they handle it in a very different way. Everybody has their own style. And I think depending on the next president, you may very well see a completely different way of handling it. Speaking of presidents, you've interviewed a lot of presidents. Can you tell us who you've interviewed? And I said I was joking when I asked you who was your favorite, but then you said you wanted me to ask you. So who was your favorite? I'll tell you what, I have a caveat to answering that question, Doro, because first, I think you need to answer How do you answer in your family? (laughs) Well, good point. I have to stay neutral there. You stay neutral there. Okay, I'm going to follow your lead because I know you're very wise. It is no secret that I have a soft spot for your father, but that's also because I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with him and get to know him. How many presidents have I interviewed? So I think it's seven. So I interviewed Jimmy Carter, your father, and Bill Clinton, and your brother, who I call 43, and Barack Obama. President Reagan? President Reagan, I never interviewed, but I was lucky enough to interview President Ford after he left the White House. And I interviewed President Trump before He was in the White House many, many years ago. So that's the seven. Do you have any stories to share? I'll tell you two stories, one about your dad and one about your brother, 43, because I think there's a theme. They're obviously very different people with very different styles, but they both had tremendous self-confidence and comfort in who they were in their own skin. And the first time I really did a long interview with your dad was after he left the White House. He gave me his very first interview after he left office. And he said, come up to Maine. And there was a condition. He said, you can spend three days with me. Can you imagine (laughs) three days? What was he thinking? And he said, but here's the deal. You have to do whatever I do and you can interview me as we do those things. I mean, I knew that your dad loved sports and was a action figure, (laughs) but by two o'clock the first day, I think we had already done five sports, golf, running, swimming, fishing, and it was in the rain. (laughs) Now, what struck me about that interview was 
your dad didn't pull any punches. He talked about what was painful, what made him angry. He was very comfortable. Your brother, just quickly, before he ran for president, when he was governor, I said, I'd like to come down and do a piece on you. And he said, fine. And he wouldn't give me three days because he's really smart. But he gave me one whole day. And I said, well, what time do you get up? He said, I get up really early, be at the governor's mansion at 5 a.m. I get up and I feed the cats and make coffee for Laura, who I call Mrs. Bush. And we were there at five o'clock and he answered the door in boxers and a (laughs) t-shirt. And we followed him from dusk to dawn. And it just once again answered every question, didn't dodge anything, talked about, just as an example, I didn't ask him, he brought up his history with drinking and how he had dealt with that and overcome that. And I really admired how they both were just very comfortable in their own skin. That's just incredible that you've interviewed that many presidents. Outside of the presidents, is there other interviews that stand out that just will be with you into your old age or you can't believe you did it? You know, I am constantly surprised when I look at the list of people I've interviewed because, you know, whether it was at the Today Show or at CNN, you interview lots of celebrities. You interview everyone from Tom Hanks to Yo-Yo Ma to Baryshnikov. I think more than any individual, Tricia, maybe the answer is that the best thing about my job has been that I learn every day because it's different. And I do a lot of politics, but I've also done a lot of artists, celebrities. But I think the people that I've really enjoyed interviewing the most are people whose names you would not recognize. They are ordinary people who, as we say, do extraordinary things. There's a fifth grade teacher, public school teacher in Los Angeles who, in effect, taught all of his kids Shakespeare, made sure they all got into college, followed them their whole lives. People like that who are changing the world, but also I felt honored to meet them and hopefully by sharing their lives and stories, it would inspire other people to do things that really are amazing. I'll add one person to the list, and that's Barbara Bush. She made me laugh. She taught me a lot of lessons. And Doro, I'm going to quote your mom, and I think you'll know which quote it is, but it just always stays with me. I believe she gave it at a commencement, and she said, at the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. I'm getting a little emotional. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a friend, a child, or a parent. I can't think of anything better. When you were talking about the role of the media that you saw was sharing stories and help inspire other people to do maybe good things too. Any other roles that you see that media has? And I guess, how do just plain people make sense of it? 
Trust me, I ask myself that same question every day. First, I want to plead guilty to something. I watch way too much television and I read way too many newspapers, but that's also a professional hazard. But I do think making sure that you read as well as watch a breadth of material, different viewpoints is very important. The younger generation, <laughs> they get a lot of their news off that telephone. And at first I thought that was bad. They're looking at news feeds on social media. But I peeked at my kid's telephone and actually they're linking to very traditional outlets. I don't think social media should be the enemy because it does lead to information. Any reporter will tell you, Tricia, we want to get the story first. It is true. We're competitive. But the most important thing is to get it right. Because too often, as we've seen with breaking news, the first reports out there are not accurate. And so I think getting it right is the most important thing we can do, whether that is breaking news or covering the White House or covering education or covering COVID-19, trying to be as accurate as possible. Jamie, there's been a lot in the media lately about women in the media. Do you think the culture is changing? I think there's no question that the culture has changed. I mean, I remember when I walked in to NBC the first time and there was a long hallway called Correspondence Row. And there were, I think, three women and a lot of men. So there is no question that over the course of my career, it's changed dramatically. Look at how many women anchors we have. You look around at Congress, many more women governors, many more women. I will say that I think that because my mother was a judge, it never occurred to me that I couldn't or wouldn't be a professional and have a family. And she made it look easy. I've discovered it was not so easy. <laughs> but that was a little bit different for me because I know that for my generation, most people's mothers were not lawyers and judges. That was unusual. So she was an extraordinary role model. Just a little pivot here, because we do talk about mind, body, spirit, health in our company and in what we do. And so how do you take care of yourself, mind, body, and spirit? The first thing I will say is just big picture. I try to laugh a lot. I try not to take myself too seriously. I think mental health, especially right now, is very important. And trying to wrap our heads around where we are right now is especially challenging. I consider it my silver lining that Lily and Nick, our twins, who are both working in New York, are home with us. <laughs> Last night, we played a game of cards. I always lose, but we laugh all the way through it. So just some little things can go a long way. Big picture, I'm a walker. I walk and walk. I used to be a very slow runner. I was never a great athlete. My husband is an incredible athlete. My kids are great athletes. But right now, a lot of walking and 
from time to time, I confess I go in and out of yoga, but I do believe, even though I've never been perfect at yoga, far from it, I can't do all the twisting and everything, just taking that time to stretch, I think it does help big picture. Dora, let's just put it this way. I could not keep up with your family. <laughs> your grandmother would have had no time for my athletic ability. We ask everybody what their favorite book is or what book you would suggest people read. And we know Danny's books are great. Okay. So we're going to say, obviously, read Daniel Silva's books. I would say in general, I'm a biography reader. It's hard for me to pick just one, but I love biographies. So I'm going to go for Daniel Silva plus all biographies. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on Health Gig today. It's been just a joy to have our listeners know you better and hear your voice. And thank you. Well, I love you both. I consider you both dear old friends. In honor of what's going on today, stay safe. And I'm thinking about all of you and your families. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.